If you have your Bible, please turn to Colossians. We're in chapter 2. You know, this last couple of weeks, I've been at camp helping, speaking, doing these things. And it was on Tuesday night I had preached. And uh, as you know, preaching always is about Jesus. It's always about the gospel. It's always from the word of God. And so I would obviously preached on Jesus, the gospel. And, and I, I got done and I came and I, I sat down. And this young man gets up during the worship time and he comes and he, he takes me by the hand. He says, can I talk to you? I said, sure. So we go out to this side hallway to these stairways. And I said, you know, what's what's the problem? This young man said. My brother died just this morning. You go through life and you go to camp and you have the fun and you pay your bills and you go to school and you do all these things and then you're confronted with death. And this man was just broken and I, I, you know, I put my arm around him and I said, the Lord's here with you in this. And I asked him this all important question. I said, I got to ask you this one question. I said, did your brother have faith? Did he know the Lord? And he said, yes. And we talked about how that was a day of grief and sorrow because even Jesus died over the ramifications of death and all that it had, but also that it was a day of rejoicing because the scripture says that the one who is righteous, Isaiah 50. Seven says that they are now resting. That they are now uh, no longer have the calamity of sin and evil. And so he, in the midst of his tears, was rejoicing over the fact of what Jesus had done. And so that's where we go into Colossians 2. In this chapter, chapter 2, in verse 8, we had last time it said, Don't let anybody rob that from you then. If Jesus has worked salvation for you and he has granted you his grace, why would you go back to living life where you feel like you have to pay him back? He doesn't want you to have to follow rules to have to try to pay him back. He did everything for you. So don't be taken captive by that. Don't sit and look at death and think I've got to escape it. Because you have freedom. And even this young man's brother, as he died, he was. With Christ, that's a good thing. And so Paul says, don't go back to that which is captive, uh, makes you captive. Don't do what the world does, this philosophy and empty, empty things, this lying, these traditions that don't get you anything. Stay in Jesus, stay in his grace. And so here it comes and it re, uh, reestablishes for us who Jesus is. When it goes to verse nine, it says this for in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, as we've seen earlier in our studies that when jesus came to earth he didn't just come as a man and when jesus came to earth he didn't just come as god but he was both fully at the same time fully god and fully man some of you have noticed as you've come in this morning this cross and this is something that the lord had me made make about 16 years ago and there was something that, that the Lord had me make when uh, I, I did a Pastor Billy here and was working on the wood, you know, whittling into this thing. And um, there's symbolism that's right here. And one of the things that's there is uh, I was captivated by those pictures all the time. You know, those ones of Jesus with those paintings and he's standing there holding his hands like that and he's blessing. And you just see him. I, I kept wondering, what in the world is going on with the hands? And. Finally, I, I asked all these people, and I find that I was in a conversation with an Eastern Orthodox Archbishop, and I hadn't had any answers to that. And I said, do you happen to know why Jesus is always standing in pictures like that? He said, that's because there's a theology that he's holding in his hand. What it means is this. The three fingers represent the Father, Son, and the Spirit, that they all together at work 
They're the Trinity. And the two fingers that are down like this represent that Jesus came down fully God and fully man. He says you can go like that and have a, a theology, an understanding of God in your hand, that it's the Father, Son, and Spirit, and that Jesus came as fully God and fully man. And so when the Lord had me make this cross here, I represented it with the three streams coming down this way, Father, Son, and Spirit. And then there's actually two that arch over the, the cross beam here that represent Jesus, fully God and fully man. Because when he went to that cross, he wasn't just human. When he went to that cross, he wasn't just God. He was fully God. He was fully man. And this verse says that when Jesus came, that the whole fullness of deity of, of God dwelt in his body. He was fully God and fully man. So he was capable to do what we're about to read. And it says here that you have been filled in him. The word that's being used there when it says you've been filled in him is that you have been completed by the fact that he now is in you. When Jesus ascended, he sent his Holy Spirit. And so you're not alone. When you came to faith and your heart was changed, regenerated. God actually at that moment baptized you with his spirit. He came and dwelt in you and you were now filled with Christ's spirit. You've been completed. You're not lacking in Christ. He gave you everything you need to be a child of God, to be a part of his family. To be a person who is reserved for him. It's complete. I love the completion aspect. It's kind of like this, oh, you know, the Hudson's, we have our tradition. You, you've heard this before. On Sunday afternoons after church, we have a tradition. We go home and we eat nachos. That's what we do. But we also have another one on Saturday mornings. We'd like to have scones. Scones are kind of a, an English biscuit that they would drink with tea. We, of course, use it for coffee. That's what we do. Um, but we love scones because you can put chocolate chips in them. Yesterday we had white chocolate chips and, and craisins. And it was it was was it good? Yeah. Well, I got thumbs up from the Hudson's because that's what we do. It's our tradition. But, you know, when you take the, the recipe, you have all the ingredients that are written on that recipe, Right. And then you collect all the ingredients and then you stir together all the ingredients and then you you put the little uh, scones, the biscuits onto the pan and you've preheated the oven and then you slip them in the oven. And then when the timer goes off, ding, you pull those scones out of the oven. Now, I could take all that process. I could have the recipe. I could stir it together. I could put them in the oven. Ding, bing, it goes off. I pull them out and I put them on the stove. But to me, a scone. Is not complete. Until it's been consumed by me, <laughs> right? You don't go into making scones. You don't go into any recipe, putting all that hard work in, carrying it out, and then, and then suddenly it just sits there. But there's a completeness to the process where it began and then was completed when it came inside of you. I prefer my scones in my mouth and in my belly. And Jesus says, if I have started this work in you, if that was me, then it wasn't just this beginning where there's some elements i have carried out that process to its completion where now it is inside of you he who came who was fully god and fully man and completed and now when he changed you it says here you have been filled in him you are completed Ding! the timer's gone off and you are completed in christ That everything that you need to be as far as him to look at you and say, you're righteous, I accept you, has been done. 
Now, is there some work and some discipline he's going to do in your life? Yeah. Is he going to pull you away from sin and grow you into things and your gifting? Yeah, absolutely. There's those things that are going to have to happen still. But as he looks at you and says, I accept you. I am your friend. You are in a right relationship, a righteous relationship. That is complete. You don't have to do, 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 do to make him love you anymore. It's been done. That is grace. That's why we're seeing that it's amazing. The burden is not on you anymore. It was done by Christ, and he's giving you now his grace, and you are full in him. And it goes on and says, you can know this because he's also the one who is the head of all rule and authority. We saw this in chapter 1, that Jesus made all the authorities, visible, invisible. He has made everything, including angels, demons, even Satan himself. Jesus made him because Jesus is the creator. They are not. It's not as if... Satan and Jesus are yin-yang. This Eastern religious idea that there is a, 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 a good and an evil, and they are direct opposites. They have the exact same amount of power. And so people will put Jesus and Satan side by side and call them the same. They are not. Jesus created Satan. Satan disobeyed was cast out of heaven, and now runs around doing everything he can with all of his dominions to try to get you to take your eyes off of Jesus. But Jesus is the head. He is the chief, the head principle of everything, including Satan, including the demons, including angels, including everything that we can see and not see. Jesus has all authority. He is the head. And so you can be sure that if he's completed what he's done for you, He's completed it. He's filled it. It's done. And he goes on here. You know, in the Old Testament, they would have you do something uh, uh, called circumcision. And in the New Testament, there's something that we're told to do called baptism. And those are actions that go on on the outside, right? Circumcision, we're not going to go into the details. Okay, you can thank me later. But circumcision is something that was done physically. Baptism, we've done baptisms in our baptismal uh, pool back here. and We take people down and they're physically, outwardly put into water. But those things that are done on the outside, whether we're talking Old Testament circumcision or New Testament baptism, those things that we would do, do not make us acceptable in the eyes of Jesus. Rather, he has done a work in us. It was his work done in us so that he will say in a moment the circumcision he's done and also the baptism that he's done on the inside That's what made us acceptable. That's what cleansed us from our sins so that we might do something outward to show what's happened on the inside. And so for the Jews, I mean, they could do it on the outside all they wanted, but if it wasn't on the inside, and we could dunk people in water to the point of drowning all we want, but if something's not happened on the inside, and so Jesus tells us right here about this thing that he's done on the inside. In verse 11, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. The talks has this language in the Old Testament. It's got to be a circumcision of the heart. It's God doing that, cutting away our desire of the flesh and our demand for the flesh to have to do things or to have things. And it goes on in verse 12 and says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised 
him from the dead. So when Jesus died on this cross, he was taken off the cross and he was buried in the tomb. Wrapped up in a shroud. But the scriptures say that three days later on that Sunday that, boom, by the power of God, he was raised from the dead. There was angels there to announce it and an empty tomb to prove it. And that said that by that same power, God has now come into your life. You have been buried with him in that baptism. You have also been raised with him to life because that was something that he did in your heart. He has cut you away in circumcision of your heart away from sin and the demand of the law. And as well in baptism, you have now been buried and raised with him. Those are symbolisms on the outside, but what he's actually done in your heart. And then he goes on and says this. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. And so just in case we don't know exactly what we look like, in order to know how awesome grace is that has been given to us, how amazing it is, we must understand the place that we once were before God did something. If we were to look exactly what we were like, our state, God says that we were pitiful, that we were wretched, that we were sinful, that when God looked at us, there was not even a desire in us to love him or to be holy. We would rather just do our own thing. We'd rather eat the fruit in the garden. We would rather go and be promiscuous. We would rather go and think what we want to. We would go rather do our business the way we want to. We'd rather do to others what we want to. We'd rather do for ourselves what we want to. We were utterly wicked. And it's not as if it was just one thing. You know, at camp this last week, it was it was a beautiful picture. They had a sunrise service. They actually went and pounded on the doors of the kids at 5.30 in the morning, got them out of bed. Alicia led her kids out there, stumbling at 5.30 in the morning, and they all came out, and they had a sunrise service right at the campfire side. And it's right off the lake, just a beautiful sunrise picture. It was awesome. And Pastor Rick Crocker from our Wilmington church, he shared the gospel and the resurrection there. And at the end... What they had them do was this opportunity to show that in Christ, he's taken our sin from us. And so kids would go down to the lake and they had rocks that they could take. And on that rock, they could write with a Sharpie pen the letter of maybe the sin that they had. Maybe they were thinking of lying. You know, so they would just write the letter L or if it was stealing, you know, I'm just making things up. They might write the letter S or lust. They would have the letter L and they would take that rock. And after they wrote up, they would go and chuck it into the lake because the scripture said the lord removes our sin and it's as far away from us as if god took it and removed it and cast it into the bottom of the ocean and as i watched the students go up there and write their sin and then cast that sin into the lake the lord kind of talked to me for a moment and said this that's a good picture but Jason, if, if you think you've just got one rock that I removed. You don't know the depth of your sin. The Lord said, Jason, you could go down there and you could take up a handful of sand. And each one of those pieces of sand have 
a sin written on you could take that sand you could chuck it into that lake and all go to them and you'd have to go back and back and back and back and just scoop up sand because that's who we are in our flesh we just absolutely sin we just have heaps and bounds of sin all that we have done and is wretched before god keeps us from a relationship from him that's where we were that's what it said it said and you were dead in your trespasses plural the sins and it was it was a dump truck load of sin for each and every one of us that's how sinful we were but it says and you who are dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh god made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses and i love that because then the lord said every bit of that sin every one of those pieces of sand i paid for i forgave you for and so here it goes on and says having forgiven us all of our trespasses 14 by canceling canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands so When Paul's writing this, when they had people who had a debt, they had these things called a debt book. And if you owed somebody, that person would just start to write your debt out. And when that page was full, they'd turn the page and they would have a book of all your debt. And so Paul is speaking here about that debt book he said this he canceled the record of debt he took the debt book that stood against us with its legal demands so what that means is that everything of mine all those pieces of sand it's written it's a record and what does it do when i stand before god he could just sit there and read it and say look at all this garbage that you've done look look how wicked you've been But this, because of what Christ did, it says, I canceling the record that this, you know, it's not just a little pamphlet size like I've got here in my hands. It was a big, huge book that each one of us had. And it says by the work that Jesus did on the cross, that he canceled this, that when God looks at me, he doesn't see the big book of sins. It's been canceled. And there I just threw it. But what it says here. Is what he did with us. It says. This he set aside. Nailing it to the cross. And so this debt record. When God took away sin. He didn't just say. I forget about it. This sin of Jason. Had to go somewhere. And he couldn't just take and chuck it into the ocean. He couldn't just go hide it under the rug. He couldn't do what we do where we just make ourselves busy enough to forget about it or go to church enough to think somehow I took care of it in order to get rid of our record of sin. All that stood against us that God could say, look at all that you've done. I'm going to cast you into hell. Depart from me. I'm destroying you. We cannot be in relationship. Instead, God took that record of debt. And it says,
that he nailed it to the cross. That where I should have been in this place, that should have been me getting the punishment for my debt. Instead, that he canceled it from me. And he took his son, the father, son, and Holy Spirit with this plan that they had, took the son, fully God, fully man, and nailed my sin on him. So it could be canceled. So when God looks at me, he doesn't see a book of sin. The scripture says, he who knew no sin became sin for me so that in him, in Christ, I would have his righteousness. When God looks at me, I'm righteous. Have you ever gone to somebody and you say to them, I am so sorry for what I did against you. You ever offended somebody, maybe lied to them, stolen from them, hurt them in some way, and you go to them and you're like, I am so sorry I did that. And the person looks at you and they say, oh, it's okay, I, I forgive you. But every time you see them, it's like they're looking at you like, yeah, but I still got you. I still have that record of what you did against me. And even though I told you sorry, I'm going to use that on you. Do you remember what you did to me? How you lied to me? How you offended me? How you used me? You betrayed me? You committed adultery against me? Don't you remember the things you did against me? And even though you said you're sorry, I still have this record of debt against you. For some of you, it's not somebody else. Do you know that one of the biggest problems that you and I have is that we have been sinful and we hold that debt against us? How many of you, despite the fact that Jesus has forgiven you, you have never forgiven yourself? That you still hold that record and you're being crushed under the fact of all this stuff that you've done and maybe even continue to do. And God looks at you and because you've confessed and you're covered in the righteousness of Jesus, God looks at you and says, I have no record of debt on you. I forgave you. And yet you look at yourself and you say, oh, it's my debt. Now, it's important to confess and it's important to know the sin that you've done. But when Christ forgave you, he took that all off of you and he put it onto Jesus. Why then are you taking it back? No, when Jesus forgave you, he put it there to stay so that you would be completely free and clear. His work is done. You are now righteous. Why would you go back? If you've been freed and set out of prison, why would you go back to prison? If God looks at you and says, be forgiven, why would you say, I'm going to go back to a place of unforgiving? No freedom, my friends. This is a win for Jesus. This is a win for you because he follows up this passage by saying this. He, Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities. That's all the evil, the demonic principalities, all these things that we might think have more power. No, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. You see, they thought they won. They thought they got him when they put him on the cross. But no, that was actually God's little twist in the plot to say, no, I just paid their sin, the sacrificial lamb for my people. I just paid their debt. That's why Jesus cried out on the cross. It is finished. The word that he used there means it is paid. I believe he was taunting them at that point. It is paid. 
He put them to open shame. And it says here, by triumphing over them in him, in his cross. When Jesus died on the cross, it was a gruesome picture. His body torn up, his skin just hanging off him. The nails, the spear in his side, the crown of thorns. It was an ugly looking mess because that's what our sin is. It's wretched. And yet in that gruesome picture of him dying on the cross, it was a beautiful picture of him looking at death in the face and looking Satan in the face and looking our sin in the face and saying, uh, I just paid their debt. And that scripture said that he triumphed over them. In himself, in his cross and what he did. Back in that day, the Roman emperors or the Roman governors when they would go out and they would have a battle against another nation, another army. When they won, they would come back to their hometown and they would throw this huge parade. All the people would come out rejoicing because a victory had been won. It wasn't just for the emperor and it wasn't just for the army. That battle that had been waged meant protection for the people. And so all the people of that dominion, all the people of the kingdom would come out and have a huge parade of triumph. And in that place, the emperor would go. They would would have him go down the middle of the road. Nowadays, we do that for champions, too. The basketball champions, the Golden State Warriors, great team. They came back and they had a parade in their hometown. They were the champions. They won. World champions, apparently. When they went in their parade, their buses and stuff went down that, the corridor where all the people were cheering. And their victory maybe earned them t-shirts and some bragging rights. But something was different about that parade than the parades of old. When they went, it was just their team. But in the old days, when the emperor, the governor had won and the city was saying, you won. Let's celebrate this triumph. They would send the emperor and the army down the front in their chariots. But they would also have the humiliated king, the general leader walk in front just despised because they had been triumphed over and there that little ugly fierce competitor but ugly would be paraded through town with the one who was victorious right over the top of them saying I beat you That's what Paul is talking about when he tells the Colossians. By triumphing them over them in his body. That he put them to open shame. Which is why in the resurrection we say, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? In Christ, we have been set free. In Christ, you don't have a record anymore. In Christ, you have been forgiven. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus. He sees his righteousness. He sees ones that he loves. He sees ones that he's helping. He sees one that he wants to heal, one that he wants to use, one that he wants to mature, one that he wants to be with because he paid for you, nailing your debt to the cross and triumphing over his enemies, putting them to open shame.
And so we together as the body of Christ are not to be brought here to a place of, you better do it right. Isn't that the preacher's job to tell you to quit doing all the stuff and start doing all the stuff and make sure you get it right? They're going to kick you out. You shouldn't do those things, right? And you should do what you're supposed to. That's not what saved you. Jesus did. And if Jesus has saved you, if he's forgiven you, have you forgiven you? Are you free of that? And maybe this week you've been doing no good. Maybe this last month or year, days on end, you have just, you have been in sin. Maybe you've never known Christ. And you've been trying on your own to be saved. Let me tell you, there is no other way to take that sin, that burden off you, unless it's been nailed to Jesus, onto the cross. And this morning, you might need to say, I give it all to him. God, please forgive me. Let him do that work of changing your heart, making a new heart and taking your sin. Just by you saying, Lord, please forgive me. I call on you to save me. He will take your sin off and he put it on the cross of Jesus. You've been set free. Because I would hate for your brother or sister to say, you know what? My brother or my sister passed away and they'd be looking at you saying, but they did not know Jesus. That's the sad one. But when you've been forgiven, it's all off of you and it's on the cross and then you get to do, you get to worship. You get to leave, live free. You get to live in Christ. It's beautiful. And so this morning, if you don't know Jesus, Call out to him to save you. Repent, turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus. And maybe this morning, if you do know Jesus, but you have been getting into a lot of filth and ick, or maybe there's just one thing that you've done. You just notice it. Jesus died. It's forgiven. But it does say to confess your sin, that you know that's something you, you did. And that he needs to remove you from that place. And so this morning, we're going to invite you to not only end with us in songs, we're just going to praise Jesus and keep triumphing over Satan's sin and death by joining him in worship. But I want to give you the opportunity. A lot of people will come down sometimes and pray at the front. We'll have a couple songs. You're welcome to do that. Deacons, if you see somebody, please, please come pray with them. If you see a friend or someone who needs prayer, come pray with them. But I want to give you another opportunity this morning in another type of way that maybe will be meaningful for some. For some of you, to recognize something's been forgiven from you, you might need to write it. Just do something tangible. This, is, this isn't the thing that's going to save you, but it's just a, a memory piece. It's a tangible way for you to recognize that it's been put on Jesus. So this morning, I'm just going to lay out some, some paper sheets along the front. And if you need to, you can just come and you can take and you can write it. If you need a writing surface, there's one here, but you just write your sin on there. 
you can take it if you want to fold it. I'm going to shred them later. Nobody's going to look at these things. Only Jesus knows. And you just, you put it on the cross, cross of Christ this morning. And just doing that, that's not what saves you. It's just a, a physical way of recognizing, Lord, my debt was removed. Thank you for reminding me. I want to live in that freedom. So I want to invite you to that this morning if you want to. While we sing, just come up when you want. And uh, I think this thing should stand up pretty good. Um, so let's sing this morning.